Beyond the Field podcast team. My name is Kane Walston and co-host Issa Nasiwa. Issa, how are you, bud? I'm oh, good, mate. I'm good. I'm safe and well in my bubble. I'm looking on Zoom. I'm seeing signatures above you. It must be you and your playing days, is it? You love yourself, don't you? I've got to pick myself up during this crazy time. <laughs> hey, we have a, a special guest today and a good friend of mine, um, Steve-O Morpeth. Steve-O, how are you, bud? Yeah, good, mate. Yep, keeping well, trying to stay... Uh positive and healthy and yeah hopefully um we get through this crazy time and we're all back on the horse and so yeah keeping keeping well bro staying positive now before we get on to your uh your journey in uh, in life and business a quick shout out to atomic coffee who um normally fuel us through these sessions but we haven't been able to get to them lately have we so uh we can uh, we can dream of them and just think about how quickly we're going to be back to atomic coffee i hope i hope that level three enables coffees to be uh outsourced for us mate because i'm dying for one i'll pass it over to you so steve-o just keep it nice and light pal um a couple of quick fire questions things that come straight to the top of your head uh favorite holiday destination Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, any Pacific island. Is that too... Uh, you want me to be more specific? Uh, we'll just say Fiji and leave it there. Yeah, uh, Fiji is good. Please, please. Yeah, no, you're right, actually, Fiji. Fiji will definitely be the one. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice, yeah. we'll give him one. Um, yeah. Unlimited budget. What is your dream car? Oh, 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 oh. I'm a bit of a bogan when it comes to um, cars. I'd probably go with, like, a, a big V8 Land Cruiser all decked out. What about go, a go G- wild? Get get Scarlet into the GT with a blow off valve, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that, bro. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I'm definitely into the four wheel driving and going, getting out and about and enjoying the outdoors. And like, done a fair bit of four wheel driving in the far, far north, and awesome getting up there and going fishing and uh, surfing and exploring new spots. Eh? It's it's crazy how. Um, it's a whole undiscovered world up there when you can get in a four-wheel drive and go far beyond the roads, you know, it's, it's awesome. Mean, mean. Um, yeah, any superpower, what would it be? Oh, I think Invisible would be pretty cool. Yeah, mate. Yeah, get up to um, some mischief. What was your favourite What was your favorite and least favourite subject at school? <sighs> I hated maths. Couldn't deal with it. Hated it, yeah. Definitely maths. <laughs> learn to learn to like with what I do now with formulations and you know percentages and proportions, all that stuff. Like you sort of realise as you mature how important that stuff is. But um, at the time, I was yeah. like, "What is this BS?" <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> mate. You could surf any destination in the world during lockdown. What would it be? Oh, I'd have to go back to Fiji and probably go to Cloudbreak. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Back up, you, Kane Wallstrom. Good man. Hey, before we uh, get into um, your journey, Steve, obviously owner and founder of um, Sticky Johnson Surf Wax and Grip Tech, but um, you're a big surfer. Um, you love the outdoors. Uh, and so let's get into it. Where did you grow up? Obviously, uh, I know where you grew up in the uh, <laughs> sunny side of the eastern beaches, mate. But tell us a bit yeah. about your, 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 where you went to school, um, where you grew up, um, and family upbringing. Yeah, so I grew up in Auckland in the in the thick of it there, um, in Koei Marima, nice nice um, suburb to grow up. But I was always um, drawn to the Coromandel, spent a lot of time down there, and um, was fortunate enough to um, 
be able to go and spend a lot of my childhood down there and learnt to surf and caught the bug. Um, Any New Year's is at Muppets, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've just always been into, you know, keeping real active. Um, I'm kind of one of those guys that has to be out there doing things to, to um, feel good, you know. I just love stretching my legs and keeping busy and getting outside. And I think surfing just really, uh, I gravitated to it. A, I love being in the water. Um, B, it's amazing exercise. Um, you ask most people that, you know, you can get someone that runs Ironman, Ironmans or triathlons or whatever and you chuck them on a surfboard for half an hour and they'll be rooted. Um, it's quite a unique sort of physical exercise, eh? but I, um, I really enjoy the physical side of it and um, being in nature is a big thing too. It's quite therapeutic. So, yeah, I just, I think when I was probably, I don't know, nine or ten, my cousin pushed me into my first wave and I was just hooked from then on and always been um, nagging the parents at a young age just to take me to the beach and go surfing and I was lucky enough to, um, yeah, my dad would and my mum would load, load us up and <clears throat> we'd get in the car and go on go on missions and, yeah, happy days. Yeah, I mean, you've got a great family, obviously, um, mum and dad and two brothers. Your um, Two brothers, uh, one older, one younger. Yeah. Um, they uh, they went surfing as well growing up and you guys all um, Yeah, yeah, I think my older brother, he kind of caught the bug at a later age. Um he sort of travelled, he had a pretty, um, yeah, he, he finished school, I think, and then um, went to, moved to Wanaka and got right into snowboarding and and then um, was a snowboard instructor and w- moved over to uh, Colorado and, and America there and, um, yeah, was instructing over there and then would do back-to-back winters and then I think he just burned out on being in winter all the time and then hung up the snowboard <laughs> and then um, found surfing and just got hooked on that. And I think the freedom of it, being able to just come and go whenever you want, is, is yeah. yeah, that's one of the great things about it. Um, <laughs> do I or me? No? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I try. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's a big investment in time and money. And when you've got a family, it's just another, um, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty tough to make it down to the mountain sometimes. So I haven't been for the last sort of three years, four years. But um, yeah, I'd love to get back down to the mountain. Just yeah, any anything where you're outdoors and in the fresh air and in the nature, you know, I love doing that. Like like surfing, you know, in the mountains, it's it's a great feeling. Tell us about schooling, um, primary school, intermediate, school. Um, high school. So yeah, primary was at um, Saint Kent's. So, had a good, what's that? You were doing it tough back then. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, yeah. Sound like a real uh, <laughs> silver spinner. But no, nah, yeah, we, we um, yeah, fortunate enough for um, to go to some good schools and and then on to Auckland Grammar. And <clears throat> I remember third form A just being like, what is this place? It was an absolute zoo. Just people everywhere. And I remember being, you know, little third former and knee high to a grasshopper and then you'd see growing men, you know, like seven formers that were just men and it was just like, that was a, that was a trip. But, um, well, I yeah, like, I, I kind of didn't really enjoy it, grammar, when I first, you know, as a third former, it was, it was um, a bit of a culture shock, I think. Um, just being in such a big school, you know, and then um, having to fight 
having to fight for yourself. But I think it, it does teach you some great life lessons. And naturally, for me, I, was, I wasn't an academic at all. I was really drawn to the sports field and getting out there and, you know, every lunchtime out there playing rugby, kicking the ball, whatever. I just lived for lunchtime at school. <laughs> I was not an academic at all. But one thing that grandma did teach me, because um, the majority of my mates were all in sort of the higher streams, you know, A, B, C, D, whatever. Um, I started off right down the bottom, bro. I was in, um, I think I started off in J. Um, and it goes down to M, so I wasn't far off the bottom. But I remember being shocked, going, shit, am I? <laughs> I'm not this stupid, am I? And <clears throat> anyway, the first term went by, and I was thinking, oh, I should go up after the exams. And I, I went down. So I went okay. <laughs> so that was a good slap slap in the face. And then I think I realized I've got to pull my socks up here and um, sort of learn to work hard, you know? I think it, it is like the real world, orphan grammars in that respect that sort of um you know the opportunities are there if you're willing to work for it so would you um would you say many sort of talk about this but would you say Auckland Graham is a place where early on you really got to stamp your identity and who you are to to not get lost in the system and yeah I think so uh, yeah I know um it's one of those schools where there's polarizing views like some people really excel and then I think the ones that sort of fall away at the bottom yeah. sometimes get lost and um, I think yeah that nearly happened to me and I think I kind of was lucky enough um, my parents never pushed me at all they just sort of let me do what I wanted to do which was cool but then yeah. something sort of ignited inside me and I was like I don't want to be down the bottom you know I wanted to try and do my best and yeah I kind of developed a pretty good work ethic out of um, that desire to, to sort of you know want to be successful or, or not successful but you know not be seen as like a no-hoper <laughs> and a push yeah. right further forward so tell us hobbies wise obviously you're massive into the outdoors you're a huge surfer um you love sport you're a bit of a rugby player in your day a good hooker going around you were oh no i was halfback bro no i um yeah so i played rugby from when i was five years old pretty much till i was um you know the worst thing for me was fifth form at school i stood on the glass bottle and I severed all the tendons in my right foot. So I, um, I was actually on the beach at the time and there was a, just a glass bottle half sort of sunken into the sand and I stood on it and I severed all the tendons in my foot. So I couldn't, I couldn't run, I couldn't walk for a whole year. So that was devastating for me. So, um, so fifth form, sixth form, I missed rugby um, at grammar just because I was recovering. Um, I think at the end of sixth form, I was so off it. Um, I actually signed up to go play Ultimate Frisbee because I was starting to be able to walk again. And um, that was actually really fun and good fitness. And then, um, yeah, seventh form, I was back on the horse. And I was, um, yeah, I was halfback the whole whole time growing up. But um, I think in 3A, they needed a hooker. And I got bloody thrown into the hooker role, which was horrible. But um, It's because you look like one, Stephen. Hey. Yeah, no, I kind of embraced it and enjoyed it in the end. But... Gave me a newfound respect for the front row, bro. Those guys do all the hard work and get zero recognition. Talk yeah, to absolutely. Well, you fancy pants way. back in the backs. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us, Steve, about your superstitions or habits that you may have in life. Like, you got any real, like, in business or in home life, you got any superstitions or? or um, I'm not really superstitious at all. Nah, I believe everything happens for a reason. You know, if you work hard, 
things happen. I know people say luck, but I just think, you know, luck is where hard work meets opportunity. Yeah. And you've just got to leverage off those sort of those moments where you, where you see opportunity and put in the time and make things happen, I guess. Yeah. So I suppose progressing on, Issa, if you want to push into where it all started, but obviously from school, you then went out and went to uni. And what were you studying? Yeah, yeah so I went for Auckland, I mean, sorry, uh, Auckland <laughs> Uni, and I kind of didn't really um, know what I wanted to do when I got there. And I, I did um, information science, which was like, I didn't realise at the time, but it was all computer-driven stuff. Um, so I... <laughs> Yeah, I was into more of the science, like the practical, you know, making things and um, formulating and stuff like that. But um, <clears throat> so I did that for a year and then I, I dropped out of that and then went and um, majored in marketing and um, management and then did a few elective papers, science elective papers on the side as well. And yeah, I've kind of, um, yeah, at that age, sometimes you just don't know what you want to do and it kind of just... Uh, a lot of people don't. Um, nah, nah. You know, a lot of people go to uni and then finish uni and then still don't know what what they want to do. And some people oh. just go into a job and things just turn out for them. That's a hundred percent how it, it goes. For I think most of our mates, you know, only very few have sort of stayed specialised to what they actually trained them. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> yeah, once I sort of got out of uni and then I I um, actually started working for my old man and he had a um, warehouse at the time. They were producing sort of all sorts of products for pharmaceuticals and that's sort of where I started fiddling around with different ingredients and playing with things and sort of, you know, I had a passion for, um, yeah, building and making things. And and is that sort of how you got into the industry? Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I was helping the old man and was doing a lot of compounding, working alongside the compounders, making different types of products and just as a bit of a... You know, play around after work. I'd go in and I'd get a few ingredients and I'd and I'd start trying to make circled wax. And um, it was just a hobby at that time. I would have been like, you know, 20, 20 or so, at nineteen, twenty. And um, yeah, I um, made a couple of formulas and took them to a, a few friends and tried them out. And uh, one of my good mates that was actually quite a few years older than me, um, <clears throat> he kind of steered me in the right direction and sort of said, look, there's no one in New Zealand doing this at, at the moment. You should, um, you should really pursue the opportunity to, to create a brand and, and um, have a New Zealand made product. So yeah, shout outs to mate Matt Group. He, um, he sort of kicked it off and pushed me in the right direction. I was only young, you know, I didn't really have any money or any sort of, um, you know, ideas of how to go about setting up a business or anything like that. But yeah, he got on board and helped me sort of, um, steer the ship in the right direction and I don't know how we've, we've sort of sidetracked off the original question but <laughs> I was going yeah. to say Steve it's amazing how many people through a hobby build a empire yeah. by almost yeah. um, by accident yeah well that's kind of how this happened like yeah it was sort of I guess not accidental but yeah I was just playing around you know it was a hobby to make things and Love surfing, so I thought I'd try making surf wax, and um, from there, all my other products and all the other um, things that I've developed have spawned out of that. So the surf wax in question we're talking about is obviously called Sticky Johnson Surf Wax. 
How yep. did you come up with the name Sticky? <laughs> Where did the name come from, pal? Okay, so if you if you don't know surfing, then you don't know like where it was born. It was kind of like um, I don't know in the seventies when surfing was becoming a bit more sort of mainstream. It was well, it wasn't mainstream. It was always sort of like an undercover culture and a little bit of a um, like a rebellious culture. Um, there's actually a good movie which sort of highlights the, the, the how surfing culture evolved um, called Big Wednesday, and it's. Um, it shows, uh, you know, the all the the Americans were going to war in Vietnam, and they were they had the compulsory military inscription, and so anyone within that sort of, I think, seventeen to, to thirty had to compuls, compulsory go in, into the uh, military and, and fight. Whereas all the surfers were kind of hippies and like anti-government and um, went off on the rebellious culture and were like, no, nah, we're not going to war, and you know, hid on the beaches and faked. Faked um, sort sort certain injuries to to make it look like they can't you know they're not physically capable to go and fight a war. Um, it was basically that culture where they were like, "Fuck the mainstream, I'm I'm doing it my way, and you know you can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to go fight your war." And so surfing always had this rebellious nature. And um, one of the first products, the first one of the original surf waxes was sex wax, which um, you know. Yeah. It's, it's pretty popular and it's been around since the 70s and um they were kind of like the first example of that guerrilla marketing and that sort of sex sales you know they they started with sex wax and it was at that time it was really frowned upon to have that name and um anyway they kind of set the scene for the all the waxes to follow to have these sort of crazy sexual in, innuendos and um Sticky Johnson was actually my mate Matt Groove, like his his middle name was Johnson, so I used to call him Johnson all the time and then I was Sticky Steve. So it kind of we went through hundreds of names and you just couldn't we couldn't find anything better and it was like it just has to be Sticky Johnson. <laughs> yeah, tell me. <laughs> yeah. So it's not it kinda of can be that sexual innuendo if you want it to be, but it actually kind of started um originally just by, you know, me, Sticky Steve, my mate. Johnson. <laughs> was there any other name you almost came up with that was going to obviously be the name instead of Sticky, Sticky Johnson? Uh, yeah, there was quite a few. Some of them were pretty offensive. But um, <laughs> that kind of was the whole idea, you know. You want to sort of, you know, hit people and um, be provocative sort of thing. So yeah, there were definitely some more. I kind of can't really say. I don't think it's probably a little bit offensive. That's right. That's all right. <laughs> what, um, I suppose... What what does with Sticky Johnson? What does it? What makes you stand out from your competitors in the current climate? Why um, you know the sex wax or or whatever else is out there? So a lot of people have always asked me that, and you know it's hard to differentiate a wax, but um, like sex wax is good wax. It's a good product, and there's a lot of other products on the market that aren't that great. But I sort of just um, said to people. The only way I've been able to sort of differentiate is make it better. So, you know, I've made it longer lasting, I've made it apply easier, it's stickier. And, um, you know, being New Zealand made, there was no other New Zealand made product on the market at the time. People were pretty receptive to it. And, and just on that, Steve, obviously, um, you know, there's in the surfing communities, a lot of people like supporting their local shapers and stuff. Do you find that, that Kiwis do like supporting, um, you know, Sticky Johnson because it's a local Kiwi brand? I think 100%. Yeah, definitely. We've definitely had a lot of haters. I think, like any successful business, you go through all the trials and tribulations, there's always hurdles and there's always people that, you know, try to knock you back. But that just, 
that's the best thing about that. It just gives you more motivation to get on top and prove them wrong. And that's definitely been the case for me. Um, so, yeah, we've had plenty of challenging times. But, um, yeah, sorry, I got sidetracked again. What was the original? Yeah, people supporting New Zealand made, definitely. I think it's – and even now, I think um, – with these crazy times we're going through, people hopefully will develop a little bit more understanding of how important it is to support New Zealand-made businesses. If people buying, local people buying our products, it means that we can keep pumping that money back into our employees and then all the events that we can jump on and sponsor and um, the athletes we sponsor, it all just grows a, um, a healthy yeah. um, local um, industry. So I see it firsthand, eh? And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool to know that people are becoming more aware of that and supporting us. And I did. Um, it was. I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but uh, <clears throat> there was one post where someone was trying to flog off this imported product, and I just cheekily wrote a post on there going, "Why not just support New Zealand made? You know, Sticky Johnson Wax." And um, <clears throat> it was amazing how many people wrote into the comments going, Sticky Johnson all day, NZ made, Sticky Johnson, Sticky Johnson. Yeah. I kind of was pretty stoked to see that. Hey, so are, yeah. Tell us, obviously in the early days of Sticky, tell us about the hustle for all the entrepreneurs out there or people wanting to start business. Tell us about the hustle. How did you get the product out there? Um, yeah, bro. So basically when I first started off, yeah, my mate, Matt Group sort of kicked me in the right direction and said, you know, let's do this. There's a good opportunity to... Um, sell a New Zealand made product. I basically, I was only sort of 22 at the time, 21. I just jumped in my car and I had some samples and I drove around the whole country and I drove and I met every single person in every single shop. And um, it's a bit of a lie. I didn't go to the South Island. <laughs> I did the whole North Island. I did the whole North Island. But no, I did go to the South Island. I did. I just only went to a couple of, obviously the distances in the South Island are a lot further to travel and the, um, the surfing population that is big there, but it's, you know, it was a little bit further apart, um, you know, say between sort of, you know. You obviously got a location you went to. I did, yeah. So it was good. It was great fun. Yeah, yeah. But I, And then everyone was super receptive to, you know, New Zealand made product. Definitely had the odd sort of person. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll see what how this goes. And um, I just, you know, at that time, all my mates were finishing uni, going traveling, doing heaps of, you know, cool stuff and adventures. And, I just saw the opportunity and I was like, okay, I've got to actually capitalize on this. I can't let this, um, let this pass. So I kind of just head down, bum up and just went hard, bro. And I think the best thing was just having really good contacts. Um, one of my things has always been, you know, <clears throat> never burn bridges. You know, everyone's always got some value and I've just had heaps of good dudes just jump in along the way and help out where they can for free, you know, like, I had a good, good mate, Simon Mossy, um, Simon Amos. Shout out, Simon. Um, like he would have done hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars worth of work for me for free, you know, mm -hmm. just to help. And um, I didn't really know him that well at the time. And you know, I just came across him. I was, he was actually running one of the surf stores. And I said, oh, I need someone to help with, you know, design work. And um, <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize how much work goes into all that sort of illustrated design and, you know, doing all the concepts and it's a, and it's an actual skill and an art to know how to operate all the software. So I was um, really fortunate to come across him and he helped develop, you know, packaging and artwork. And not only him, there's a, a whole lot of other guys too. Some of 
some of my mate Matt's contacts down in the Coromandel that helped out with, you know, developing artwork and signage and logos and stuff like that. So, Because the issue you have, Steve, is that your product might be great, but it needs to look great to look cool, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. sells off the shelf compared to like the sex wax or whatever's next to it. So yeah. you've got to get that balance right. Yeah, exactly, bro. Yeah, no, you want to, you know, you're putting a product on a shelf and you've got people walking into a retail store, you want it to stand out and jump out. And, um, Tell us, yeah. Steve, how did you get, obviously, because I know, how did you get the opportunity to start actually um, exporting your stuff offshore? Of six, of the, so that was another crazy story. So basically, I was at work one day and um, um, I had a guy call me up, random number. I don't usually answer random numbers, but I was like, oh, yeah, I'll answer this. And there was this guy from the UK and he was over here. He had just been in the South Island on a snowboarding um, trip. And um, <clears throat> he happened to be a buyer in the UK or in he's a, he was UK based, but he was a buyer for the whole of Europe for um, for sports products and like specifically water sports and surf products. And um, he saw my product, I think, in one of the stores when he was just here. Um, he was actually on getting ready to get on the plane and go back to um, to the UK. And I think he had a couple of hours to spare. So he, he just went to one of the local um, surf shops and had a look around and saw my product on the shelf. And the guy behind the counter said, oh, yeah, good Kiwi-made product, works well. I don't even know who that is to this day, but he put up, passed on my details to this, this guy. And he called me and then um, we had a chin wag and he still had a few hours to spare before he had to get on the plane. He came and met me. He drove all the way to the warehouse came and met me and gave me his card and explained who he was and what he did. And that honestly snowballed into, well, it just, it was the start of a really strong network. So it gave me my um, introduction to my guys in Australia, my guys in the um, Japan. Um, and then obviously him being UK based in France and Spain. And um, yeah, a, a really powerful network came from that chance so meeting. All the listeners, Sticky Johnson spreads right across to Europe too? Yeah, yeah. So we've got, we export to um, Australia's probably the biggest, one of our biggest markets. Obviously, you know, massive surf culture there. Um, Chile, Spain, France, the UK, Japan's, Japan's another great market for us. Um, what else have we got? Fiji, sell, sell a little bit up there, not heaps. But, um, yeah, managed to pick up quite a few good export markets. There's obviously the, the U.S., which is huge as well, but um, it's really hard to send it up there and, and make it. What's that? Are they quite clicky in the U.S. to their own U.S. product? Um, yeah, I think they are. Yeah, no, they're definitely receptive to other brands, but pretty much all of the main surf waxes have actually come out of the U.S., and it's yeah. just a hard place to compete. And they essentially pay a lot less for their raw materials than what we do. Yeah. Um, and the stores actually sell it up there as a lost leader to get to get surfers into their store. Yeah. So essentially, there's not a lot of margin in it. So it's it's a hard product to try and sell from down here. You know, logistically and um, economically, it's it's a tough one. We'd almost have to sell it there at a loss. Yeah. Um, which is obviously not vi viable for for a business. So it's just a strange setup there. Um, but things are changing. Cost of raw materials are going up and people are realizing they can't be seen to be just selling it at a, at a loss, you know. Yeah. So tell me, obviously Sticky Johnson's um, starting to get traction. When or how did Grip Tech uh, 
coming to about. And obviously for the listeners out there, grip tech is um, throughout the sporting world, really, isn't it? Um, so it's basically just specifically for <clears throat> rugby. I sell a little bit of into water polo, but I, I specifically engineered this for, for rugby, so it's quite aggressive. Yeah. So it's the same principles as a surf wax, you know, it gives you grip in the wet. So um, it's so basically... You see with all the players running out onto the field, putting rubbing into their hands, you see the Warriors boys doing it. Yeah. Um, Warriors, all the Super 15 teams, all the all the NPC um, teams, and actually had all the World Cup teams using it, which was pretty cool. So even South Africa and obviously World Cup winners, they were using it. And um, even uh, the, I actually got some good footage. <laughs> I probably shouldn't actually tell you this. Um, get some haters. But uh, in Tojo, in that semi-final that we had with England, and they he just demolished us. And yeah. um, he, there's a, I've got a shot of him putting it on. Like, yeah, and then, like, not long after, just reaching over and just doing a <laughs> getting it out of one of their old, our, 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 um, our malls or wraps. You play your um, home address. <laughs> yeah. hey, tell me those things. Interesting. So, how did that come about? Like, you're obviously in surf wax, and then, so yeah, well, you know, Kano, we used to be pretty uh, hardcore, you know, when, when summer would roll around, we'd, we'd all play touch religiously. Yeah, and we all played pretty competitive touch, you know, and had a pretty good team there for a number of years. And um, so I, I would always have the waxy residue on my hands, you know, from from being at work and making the, the wax. So I, um, I just thought one day I'd take a cake of wax along to to training, and and it happened to be raining, and I was like, well, this actually kind of works, you know. Just the the hydrophobic nature of the wax means that you can that your hands stay grippy, even in in the sweaty sort of wetty wet dewy conditions and um, yeah so I, I thought I need to change it up a bit to make it better so I basically just changed a few of the ingredients and and manipulated a few different proportions of certain resins and um, added a solvent in there to keep it fluid and then um, you know once you express it out of the tube it, the solvent flashes off and you're left with the sticky waxy residue which which is hydrophobic so it's it resists the, it's water resistant um, so, you know, even in, in the wet conditions, it gives you the ability to really grip the ball. So um, I kind of just saw, you know, um, how the surf wax sort of felt and, and, and changed it up a wee bit and, and tweaked a few ingredients and had four or five different samples and then kept going, kept going, and then settled on a formula that worked really well. And um, we actually had, shout out to Ant Strong. <laughs> We had him playing in our team at the time, and I said to Ann, I had this product, and I think he tried it out. And then I was like, okay, come have a meeting with the with the Blues. And I just went in there one day and dropped a few um, products in. And um, the physio there, Mark Plummer, no plum, plum. Yeah, he um, he took it on and sort of watched the boys use it and said there was, um, I think he put it on one of the tables before training and just didn't force it upon anyone. but. Um, he said he just observed and quite a few guys started using it and then they all started using it and they all started wanting it. And so that was kind of cool. Um, basically from there, it just snowballed into all the other teams wanting it. And um, that's how I got my connection with um, USL and um, USL now distribute it locally um, to all the professional teams, club teams um, and so on. Yeah. Issa, did you, did you use it in Europe? 
Yeah, it's huge. It follows you everywhere. I um, actually used it once in a match in Fiji and yeah. probably caked on a little bit too much. Yeah, if and you use too much, it can be a little bit like overwhelming sometimes. I, I, I tried to pass the ball and pass it about 10 metres backwards past everyone <laughs> and they nearly scored a try off it. I was yeah. like, I was superstitious playing rugby, man. So I was like, okay, I can't use it again. But I use yeah. the snacks every week, mate. So I'm still a massive supporter. <laughs> Do you know what? I tell you what, for that, for, for that very reason, we did actually put a label on there saying, because less is more, like you only need a thumbnail size drop. Oh, mate, I, when, when Plums was um, Plums was distributing this early on, like we were putting sort of a tablespoon of it on our hands and we completely understood that, uh, yeah, less is way more. Now you need like sort of like a fingertip. Yeah. Um, Mate, yeah, I used too much of it once. I was just throwing dummies the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, if you use too much, it definitely is a bit. It's that intense. You won't. You'll struggle to. Once you get used to it, though, it's sweet. You just got to obviously it, it, it um, changes sort of your release, the time you release your ball. You know, um, you can sort of. Adapt. It's just a part of everyone. Everyone's gear bag now. Like, it's, yeah. it's important yeah. to lose as a, as a pair of boots you put on. Um, yeah. Guys don't go out without it. Yeah, well, once you get into your sort of mental routine that you've got to have it on, and it, it really does work. So, you know, if you did use too much at the start, you might have got a little bit sort of thrown off by it. But if you if you follow the instructions, this is the problem. No one reads instructions. Yeah, People are just like, yeah, chuck it in, you know. But, um, yeah, that, for those guys that sort of follow the instructions and used it um, correctly, you know, once they've um, ad adopted it into their routine, then you've got to have it on, you know. And so it's... Good product. I read the instructions from top to bottom, mate. <laughs> I, so, honestly, I think when the physios are there and they're sort of holding the tube and sort of everyone's walked past, you know, you kind of like just get what you're doing. But, um, so, Steve, where where have you? You've obviously uh, done well from us. Where is this now? Where's Griptech obviously going? Uh, over to the UK? Yep. So we've got UK, um, Japan's probably one of our best markets. Surprisingly, yeah. they just smash it um, over there. So Japan's really solid. Um, I think they get a lot of sort of similar conditions to we get here, you know, where it's humid and a lot of um, humidity, a lot of moisture in the air, a lot of yeah. rain, being an island country, um, some sort of climate and, and, yeah, a lot of moisture. So, yeah, they, they, they actually um, tend to use a massive amount, which is great for me. Um, and there was a, there is a crazy statistic. I think in Japan, there's something like 3,000 rugby clubs. Mm. Um, so it's pretty big there. Uh, have you, have you, you played, you didn't go to Japan, Isa? Yeah, I played a little bit, a little bit yeah. up there. Um, but it's, you know, when you've got baseball and football are so huge, but rugby is just this massive sport. Not, not even before the World Cup took off. Like, yeah. it's such a huge sport that people just wouldn't have, known of really um, yeah. over the last sort of 20 years but it's been such a big sport up there yeah 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 well i've definitely noticed day eh, after that world cup um it's been pretty good for us um the sales are definitely ticked up so they can obviously love their rugby what is what is your like daily schedule what's your day-to-day -day life look like from um so most days we're actually probably just we produce a lot of wax for australia um and then obviously locally as well but pretty much every day we're producing either uh the surf wax which is probably um 60 of the production in the factory 
So yeah, a lot of wax and then yeah, a fair bit of the GripTech product as well. Um, it's for surf wax, it's kind of a bit more consumable. You use it a bit quicker, so it's it's a it's definitely a you know, high turnover item, lower margin product, but you know high turnover. So we sell a lot of volume, so that keeps us pretty busy in the factory. Posting <laughs> to order. Say again. Are you making to order? We definitely build stock, but um, like say we get an export order, yeah, we we generally raid what we have in stock and then have to. Um, build the deficit, make the deficit, manufacture it. So, yeah, we keep pretty busy in the factory making making product most days, whether it be the grip tech, whether it be um, the surf waxes. We also do, this is another product that we did this year, surf screen. So that was a massive project for me last year. So um, basically just a surfer's zinc. Um, pretty stoked with how that's gone. Team New Zealand are using it. Um, Heaps of really positive feedback. We kind of just saw a hole in the market, whereas, you know, specifically for surfing, you need a really good sunscreen that stays on all day and doesn't wash off or migrate into your eyes and sting your eyes. So um, that's been a really big project the last sort of 12 months, and we've been working on that in the factory most days. So, yeah, we got a lot of, yeah, the schedules kind of just rolls with, you know, what the export order is at the time and, yeah. Um, what needs to be made. What are what some of your biggest learnings and challenges as a business owner? Um, definitely challenges, bro. A lot of people look what I do and think it's all cool and stuff, but bro, it's it's pretty stressful. I think the biggest thing for me is just managing stress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've just constantly got stuff that, you know, like different ingredients, different raw materials become um unavailable and then you have to reformulate you have to go back to the drawing board and try different things and yeah you know it's it's competitive too there's a lot of people trying to pull the rug from under your feet um you're on your toes a lot man it is a it's definitely not a um it's easy to look at it and go, oh well that's really cool and that's you know seems like it would be a fun job and it's definitely fun it has fun aspects but nothing happens for no reason you know you got to dig deep and there's a lot of hard work that goes in behind the scenes, obviously. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, honestly, um, if I could just show you, like, all the folders I've got here, formulas, you'd, you'd freak out. I can probably just get it. You got those insured, Stephen? <laughs> These are all formulas, just, like, over the last couple of, you know, couple of years, but, like... Just notes and testing and trialing procedures, certain things, and it's non-stop, bro. For the listeners, they can't see this. This is like a war chest he's holding up. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's, it's pretty heavy. That's just in the last sort of 13, 12 months. Too. So obviously, there's lots of challenges. You know, no doubt there's a lot of hard work and grit goes on behind the scenes. Like, is there any influential sort of role models you've had along the way? Um... I guess. Um, yeah, it's funny. Um, my dad, my dad's sort of done really well. You know, he started from nothing and sort of built a, a successful business. And I think he's really entrepreneurial, yeah. and I kind of get that. I think I get a lot of his sort of uh, entrepreneurial sort of um, skills rub off on me. So I guess he's been a really big role model and. 
um, you know, he's proven that you can be a successful manufacturer in New Zealand. And um, I think New Zealand, you know, we're we're an isolated little country and we've got that number one, number eight wire mentality where people are resourceful and do what they do with what they can. And I think the government, I'd like, well, I don't want to get too political, but, you know, there's so many people just bring stuff in from China, mm. you know, bring it in, bring it in, clip the ticket, sell it on. Whereas we need to be sort of fostering our, our number eight wire mentality and, and um, encourage small business to make things here and, and um, really cultivate that, that culture of being resourceful and entrepreneurial. I mean, look at Team New Zealand, you know, taking on the world giants, the most powerful country in the world, the most, you know, big software giants with endless amounts of resource. And, you know, we prove that hard work trumps it. And um, I think that's a good example of, you know, um, how, how sort of, you know, Kiwis being that number eight wire, resourceful, entrepreneurial sort of, um, culture that we have but we're kind of dumbing it down by not sort of supporting and fostering small business it's it's yeah, yeah. yeah i don't know i've i think when i first started i went to new zealand trade and enterprise to try and get a bit of help and there was just nothing there um at that time i think there'd been a change in government and so all the resources and funding had changed but um <clears throat> yeah i think it, i think there, sh- there should be more to help support you know the um the manufacturing sector because we are resourceful people, and like I said, the Team New Zealand guys are a good example of what you can do with a bit of hard work and a bit of nous. Um, what about juggling family life and the balance? Yeah, it's definitely become a little bit of a challenge. Like, um, to be honest, like I never, I never thought I'd be that type of person that would meditate. <laughs> Yeah. But I actually have to meditate now to switch my brain off yeah, man. Um, and not come home and bring all the issues that I have at work home. Sometimes, yeah. you know, you just need to have that 10 minutes just to reset, take some breaths. Um, and it's amazing what breathing can do. Eh? Like, you know, you see a lot of the sports teams now getting into all their breathing techniques. And um, it's one of those things that's only sort of come about in the last couple of years. And it's a great way to sort of reset your mind and your nervous system, how you think and how you feel and uh, move away from that sort of stress zone that work can kind of bring about. And too, Steve-O, like, um, you know, you've obviously got a beautiful partner, Christy, and then obviously your little boy, Matteo, and that creates uh, a different value in life when a little one comes on and, and you're responsible for and, and you're looking yeah. at just that balance or, or that consistent work that you went through trying to build yourself Goes yeah. well. Actually, that's not to be all and end all anymore, right? Yeah, it definitely changes your perspective on things, and you realise why you do go to work and work hard. You know, to try and create a, a legacy for your family and your your kids, and yeah, definitely inspires you to work hard. But it definitely makes you realise too. You know, you can't put yourself under too much pressure, and you want to come home and be happy and healthy, and um, be the best person you can be to to um, you know be a good father. Absolutely. So tying, I suppose, into what we do a little bit around finance and that, give the give the listeners an idea. Did you when you started up your business, um, were you having to put a shit ton of capital in? Did you have to borrow money, get a bank loan? How did it look? Were you able to start on an oily rag? I was pretty lucky to start on an oily rag, and I've I've always been lean and mean with everything I do. 
Um, it's just how I was brought up, you know, I, having three, two brothers, three boys in the family. Um, if there was ever a time when, you know, someone got something, then the other two boys had to have it. So my, my mum was always pretty strict on, you know, just you just get the hand-me-downs, you know, you don't get ex, exorbitant amounts of things. And, you know, just brought up with that mentality of being lean and mean. Um, so I kind of just did start with my own savings and then a good mate of mine, Matt, helped put a bit of money in to buy raw materials and do a bit of advertising and stuff like that. Um, so I was fortunate to have him help with a bit of funding. And then also, yeah, my old man having his warehouse was um, a great way to start off. You know, you can see how most businesses actually fail because the costs are so prohibitive. Mm. Um, I kind of had the trainer wheels on for the first five years being able to work out of his warehouse. I just had a corner of the warehouse where I made a mess and um, I paid like a, I paid my way, but it was, it was pretty reasonable rent. Um, I just kept the cost minimal and I didn't, yeah, I, I, I borrowed money, but um, I never went too far beyond what I, what I knew I could manage. And the beauty of starting out with a, with a low cost item like this, the surf wax was meaning I wasn't investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in something that was a little bit of an unknown. Yeah. So in that respect, it was a good uh, way to sort of start the business, something that's, you know, not too um, costly. The hardest thing in business is that you're going to, any type of business and growth is you get to a point where at a point in time where you go, well, I need to grow now and to grow now, my overheads are going to go higher and I might not have the capital or cash flow to go higher right now. So I, but I'll take that chance and, and borrow capital, or whatever it is to take that growth. That's the hard, that's the point where any type of business will, will hit um, a roadblock and it's either go hard and go bigger or yeah. stay the same size and just continue to do what you do without growth. To be honest, I was probably guilty of not borrowing enough and trying to run too lean because yeah. there is a point where, you know, if you can borrow money at 5%, yeah. yet you're selling your products and making a 50% margin, 40% margin, you know, once you pay it back, you still 35 45% of gross value gain, you know. That's, so, that's really good for people to hear that because a lot of people yeah. think oh, borrowing money is, is pointless, but it's not. If you have a strong plan and a good idea of what you're doing and knowing what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to sit down and do the numbers and um, look at the big picture. And I guess a company like yourself, you guys would be pretty good at being able to, you know, show people if they borrow X amount and they're selling their products at this amount, then there's enough margin in there to, to grow and make more money and leverage off that borrowed money. So, so I suppose moving on to property itself, obviously um, got a beautiful home in Uruguay there and um, you built it. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that process because we have a lot of clients ourselves who obviously buy land and build and that. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that, how stressful that can be. That was a challenge, bro. <laughs> I'm so glad I got that done before my son was born because uh, there's no, there's no like, uh, there's no, guidebook on what to do like we bought land and i was so naive at the time i thought okay we've bought the land this was in december of like 2015 and i was thinking sweet come sort of february you know once christmas is done and people are back from their holidays we can start building and i was like cool it was four years later man before we even Whoa. Yeah. yeah not well not what was it so yeah it was it was 2000 and you finished 19 didn't you yeah yeah 
bro, there's a lot of time that goes into, yeah, all the planning. Um, we were in a kind of a, not exceptional circumstance, but we had to do resource consent, which adds a significant amount of extra time and delay. You had uh, a lot of earthworks too, didn't you? Yeah, we had a lot of earthworks and then a lot of engineering. So, you know, that added to it. But you definitely see there's a lot of red tape and a lot of um, costs that kind of slows down the building and process. And it does um, add, you know, a significant amount of cost to the overall build. And I think How the government's trying to speed all that up now. But How much did it blow out by on your, on your first budget? Uh, we actually did. Oh, bro, it blew out a lot. But <laughs> looking in hindsight, it kind of, when we first started, we had the whole mentality, oh, we can't spend, like our budget to build the house was 350 grand, which is nothing. Yeah. And that's me being naive thinking, yeah, we can do it for that. That was just to build the house. But Earthworks alone, are, you know, close to 100 grand or yeah. more. Um, anyway, we ended up building it for a, double that. Um, over, the overall cost was a lot more than that. But, yeah, you, I was quite naive as to um, what the cost would be. And in hindsight, you've just got to spend the money because you're actually putting money into an asset that's just going to keep appreciating. So do it once, do it properly, spend the money, do it how you want. Um, I've got a couple of regrets um, about, you know, we could have spent a bit more and had the house a bit bigger. Um, but we were under, you know, financial constraints and trying to be as lean and mean as possible and not spend too much. But reality is, you know, um, yeah, you do it once, do it properly, spend the money, you know, you add the nice features, you put tiles in your bathroom, um, you know, nice wooden floors. It just it increases the overall value of the house. So you're never really going to lose. You've just got an asset that's worth more. Um, Oh, there was a period where I was thinking we we're going to put this like cheap um, hydro panel stuff all through the bathrooms. And um, I think my missus at one stage was like, that just looks so ugly. We can't do that. And it would have just looked like a, it would have just looked like a gym toilet, you know, or something like that. We've got tiles in there now and, you know, it just looks so much better. So, yeah, spend the money, do it once, do it properly. Because, you know, if we had put that bloody horrible hydro panel in there and, Looking at it now, would be like, let's rip that out and put tiles in. And, and so the yeah. cost of having to retrofit it would be triple the amount of doing it the first time properly. COVID. COVID. The word COVID, COVID mate. Tell us, what sort of effect has it, this had on your business? Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty hectic, bro. I'm not going to lie. Um, so obviously we do quite well out of this time of year, selling into um, you know the, the rugby and the sports industry with, um, you know, club rugby, NPC, um, NRL, Super Rugby. Um, I'd also had a deal that we're, we're, we were going to do with um, a company in Australia who's selling to the um, AFL. Um, so, you know, that's definitely stung, bro. Um, I've lost a lot of a lot of sales for this um, this month. Obviously, we've got zero income right now. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely stings, man. But I um, mean, you know, a lot of people in the same boat, tourism industry, um, hospitality, you know, they're going to hurt and they're going to be hurting for a while. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, just got to look at the positives and use this time to sort of um, look at other ways to, to leverage the business. And What learnings would you take from this? Or, or what would you change in the future to your business if something like this happened again? 
Yeah, I think maybe just di- like we're pretty diversified in what we do, but you can't put all your eggs in one basket, you know. Um, if you can spread the load, of, like have you know different industries um, that you can sell into. So, for example, I, I did have some hand sanitizer that I was making because I did have a, um, some stock of alcohol, which I've sold out of now, and I sold it all. I made I think I made six hundred units of like a little one hundred and twenty five ml spray bottle. Just looking looking around to see if I've got one here, but. I sold every single one of them. Um, so I sold that in like three or four hours, like the day before lockdown. Wow. And um, yeah, I kind of wish I had, um, I wish I had some more alcohol in stock so I could keep selling. Is but, that the same speed that you might continue doing? Oh, 100%. Yeah, so another product that I do make is is our Clean Grip, which is basically... We sell that into a few gyms around the country, and it's um, it's hand sanitizer, but it's got cork in it. Um, so the idea is you put the the sanitizer on, and then um, sanitizer alcohol and the sanitizer flashes off, and then you're left with like a perfect chalk residue in your hands. So instead of people coming into the gyms and bringing a big chalk bucket that you know you put it on your hands, you clap it, you get a big cloud dust cloud of chalk in the air, and it it makes a mess. Um, this basically eliminates that so you're not aspirating any chalk into your lungs and you're getting a perfect amount on your hands so there's no um, chalk, excess chalk being dumped around the gym or, or wherever you're, you're working out. Um, if you go onto griptechsport.com and then just go into products and then look at Clean Grip, that's in there. So there's quite a few um, quite a few gyms around the country that, are, that stock it. And that's actually one of the focuses for this year, I think, is we're going to try and push and promote that a bit more, especially now that a lot of people are more conscious about, you know, sanitising their hands and gyms being in an area where, you know, a lot of germs are prevalent. Mate, you're a true entrepreneur, man, looking for <laughs> opportunities and you've, you've got a great diverse set of products there just from what it started. As I suppose, lastly, which we always ask our, our guests is, what sort of legacy do you want to leave on this earth if we're getting real deep? <laughs> I've thought about that a few times, eh? Like, you know, obviously business, um, we try and be as green as possible. Like I pay quite a lot of extra money um monthly in having our cardboard recycling bin, our shrink wrap recycling. Um, I don't have to do that. I could just chuck all that stuff in the bin. But you know, we're conscious, I think us our generation's a little bit more conscious about the future of the planet and so I don't know I'd just be a conscious business person I guess and you know it's kind of sad when you think about the health of the planet at the moment and, yeah. um, it is hard to be a business and, and and not be have any sort of environmental impact but um, I kind of sidetracked here didn't I I guess I'm just trying to say just be a conscious business person and um, you know support the environment and um, Produce quality products that, that aren't, aren't taxing on the on um, on the earth. Lisa, ask them the final questions, mate. After the deep questions, we like to round it off with a couple of um, quick fire. So, what was your favourite surf brand when you were younger? <laughs> mate, that's a hard one. Um, I'm one of those guys that never really had favourites. I just sort of liked everything. But I don't know. I'll just say, um, oh. I like the version, which was like a local local sort of surf brand. They were pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Have you ever sent an email or a text to the wrong person? Um, 
I did the other day actually. I sent a video of my son saying some funny stuff to um, to a mate. I was supposed to send it to my mum, but yeah, that's <laughs> nothing too uh, extreme. No, I don't get into the old Aaron Smith. Yeah. Um, no, we leave that to uh, yeah. we leave that to Kane. Uh, <laughs> are, you, uh, are you a good cook? If so, what's your best dish? Yeah, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good cook. I actually did some um, did some pork belly the other night. Asian sticky Asian pork belly. So. Yeah, I think, I think Dave Thomas said pork belly was his favourite dish as well. Yeah, What's your favourite airline to travel on? Oh, gotta gotta support the locals. They go in New Zealand. Nice, nice. Lastly, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, would it be pork belly or something else? Oh, I like fruit. I'm a fruit. Give me watermelon or coconuts. Tree of life, coconut. Nice. Love it, mate. Yeah, man. Hey, Steve-O, mate, always a pleasure. Good mate. Um, love hearing your story. How can people or where can people find uh, Sticky Johnson, Grip Tech, um, this clean grip you're talking about, the sunscreen? Where can people get in contact and, and find all this? So pretty much every single surf store in the country has been really supportive to us and they, they sell all our um, surf waxes. Um, the sunscreen should be there too, surf screen. Um, we do have an online store. If you go to surfscreen.co.nz or um, stickyjohnson.com, um, GripTech products um, mainly sell a lot of that through USL. So if you go uslsport.com um, and just search GripTech, you'll see it there. Otherwise, we do sell it through our website as well, um, which is griptechsport.com. So yeah, mainly um, GripTech sold through those big sort of wholesalers. But um, yeah, the surf stuff. Any retailer around the country, you should be able to find it. For all the listeners, we'll tag um, uh, Steve-O's companies in on, on social media. So if you want to have a look and want to get in touch, uh, you'll have the channels to do so. But um, Steve-O, always a pleasure, mate. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Peace, uh, Cheers, guys. Another good one in the bag. Another good one, man. What a legend, man. Awesome. No awesome. worries. Yeah, good, good to chat. Cheers, boys. And uh, good luck to you guys for the rest of the lockdown. Hopefully we get, get out of this and back on the horse. Good man. See you guys. Cheers, Pam.